Morning. Okay, we're going to continue on in the book of Matthew. Uh, I'm going to give you a pretty brief recap because we have a lot to cover today, but we have been going through the book of Matthew for some time, and we're still preaching verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we, Lord willing, we're going to cover all of it, uh, but we're doing so by breaking it down into, into series that cover the various topics so that we can more adequately cover all of them, and we are currently in a series on Matthew 25 called uh, Kingdom Come. Now, over the past few weeks, the disciples asked some very important questions, too, as a matter of fact to Jesus in chapter 24, and he's been answering those questions for a few weeks. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, and he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. Uh, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age, or and the end of the age? So the questions are basically, what are the signs of your second coming, right? That was one of the questions, and the other one was, can you tell us exactly when that's going to happen? Right? And Jesus basically answers and says, hey, I can't tell you exactly when that day is going to be, because only the Father in heaven knows that. That's the way he designed it. But I can give you the signs, and he gave them the signs. But as we moved into chapter 25, Jesus tried to get them focused on a, on a better question, a more uh, you know, appropriate and important question, which is, what should you be doing while you're awaiting my return? Focus more on that. And it's easy sometimes to get caught up in the end of time and what's going to happen then, and, and to lose sight of the fact that it's more important that we're ready and we're doing the things that we should be doing while we're waiting on him to come back. And this is what he kind of shifted them to. Now this week we're going to jump into something a little different. This week Jesus is going to explain uh, what's going to happen at that second coming. Because that day will be judgment day for all those who survived the 70th week or the tribulation period, right? And on that day, it's going to be a day when it's just going to amaze people because on this day he's going to separate the followers from the phonies. Right? Because the followers are going to enter into his kingdom. And the phonies will be punished. Right? On that day, even the most proficient hypocrite or phony will have to give an answer. Right? Because here's the thing I think we forget. God not only sees what we do and hears what we say, but he knows why we do both. God knows when we're being sincere, and he knows when we're just pretending. And, and everybody's done that. Okay, have you ever looked at somebody and they said, they tell you what's wrong, and they said, you know, can you pray for me? And you say, yes, I'll pray for you. And you don't, right? I mean, that happens, right? And there's sometimes, have you ever maybe had something else on your mind, but you pretended you were really sincere about what was going on when someone was talking to you? Has anybody ever done that? Listen, and now it doesn't make you a bad person. I mean, you just got to be cognitive of that. There's times you're sitting here going with that, you know, that sincere look, where you're going, mm-hmm, right? And in the back of your mind thinking, did I feed the dogs? You know what I mean? He knows every time, We've been sincere, and every time we've not been sincere, when we're just kind of pretending. And at the second coming, that knowledge is going to be, how we'll be, uh, how we'll be judged. Now, let's jump into this today. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. This is red letter. I love this. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, remember that, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left okay shepherds didn't want to keep sheep and goats together at that time and to be honest with you they still don't like to now right because sheep are docile laid-back kind of nervous animals who don't really like excitement right i mean they they just don't like to be you know surprised much goats on the other hand how many people have ever dealt with a goat Okay, scary how many. Anyway, goats, on the other hand, are more ornery, 
I mean, they are active and they're engaging, right? And sheep don't like being around goats because they make them nervous, right? Let me, for a second, let me ask you this real quick. I mean, is there anyone that pops into your mind that makes you feel kind of uncomfortable when they're around you? That makes you feel kind of nervous? You know what I mean? That person when they're around, you're just thinking, man, I can't wait till they leave. Like Patriots fans, you know? <laughs> Ravens fans. No, but I mean... They bug the sheep so bad that they don't eat well when goats are around. They don't sleep well when goats are around, right? So they separate them, right? They separate them and get them apart from each other so they don't mess with each other's daily lives, right? Now, notice he said that he was going to put the sheep on his right side. See, the shepherd would separate the sheep and the goats. But Jesus said that he was going to do this at the end and that he would put the, the sheep on his right side. Now, to the Jew... The right side was considered a place of honor. Okay, that was considered the place of honor. So when he said that, that made perfect sense to them. And I'll explain all that more in detail here in a minute. But I don't want to miss something that's really big here in, these pa- in this passage, and that's Jesus' appearance on that day. Okay, and the book of Revelation really reveals what Jesus is going to look like on that day, exactly what he's going to look like. Let's take a look at this. Revelations 1.13. It said, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet. Now try to visualize this, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, And his voice was like the sound of many waters. I mean, are your imaginations as good as mine? Because when I think of that, I just see this, you know, Christ coming, this white hair and these flaming eyes and just just this glow that's coming off of him. It's just powerful glow that's coming off of him. It says he has a voice of many waters. Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So, I mean, just on his appearance... Just this appearance of him coming should be enough to silence every critic and every hater, wouldn't you think? I mean, who's going to try to, you know, oppose that? And here's the thing is, when we think of Jesus, we don't think of him like that, do we? Some people think of him as baby Jesus in the manger, right? Some people think of him as the pictures, the artist renderings of Jesus that you see in all those Bibles. That are, how many people got Bibles that are that big somewhere at home that you never read? Like this big. And they sit on your table, and when you open them, it's to look at the cool paintings. How many people have one? Everybody has one, covered in dust, but it's huge, right? Sometimes we think of the Jesus we see in those pictures, those artist renderings of Jesus, but we never think of him like this. We might even think of him on the cross, but we never think of him like this. Imagine this Jesus coming in the sky, and and also imagine he has this innumerable amount of angels with him. I mean an innumerable amount is what the Bible tells us. You can't, they can't be numbered, right, coming with it. So here is Jesus in all his glory, glowing, white hair, eyes, a flame of fire, voice like many waters, and a big angel posse with him. I mean, just imagine what this is going to be like. This is going to be a huge, huge event. And then he's going to start a trial. There's going to be a trial like this world has never witnessed and it's not going to be like our justice system i mean it's better than most countries but let's be honest ours isn't that good 
right? Because they can find someone with the knife in their hand standing over a stabbed body with blood dripping off the knife, and they can get off for reasons of mental disease or defect. Like, yeah, well, no kidding. I don't think a lot of sane people stab people, but they should still go to jail, right? I mean, in this country, you can have a lawyer get you off for techni- you know, on some technicality, but there will be no attorneys to get people off on technicalities in this, in this trial. There's not going to be any pleading diminished capacity. Nobody's going to be able to plead insanity. They're not going to have to say that their civil rights were violated and how they were Mirandized. None of that stuff is going to come into play because all nations are going to be fairly judged and get exactly what they deserve from the one who created everything that exists. This will be the, probably the first completely fair trial ever held in the world will be this trial right here. Now notice it says that all nations will be at this. Right? This refers to all the people who are alive at the end of the tribulation period. That's who this is talking about. The end of that 70th week. All the people who are alive of all nations are going to be in this trial. Right? And at this trial is where he separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, now, the sheep represent believers, those who have believed during that tribulation period. They represent believers, and they are on his right hand because the place of honor is reserved for those who have trusted Christ and who have become a child of God. That's why they're put on the right. The goats represent Patriots fans. No, I'm just kidding. They represent unbelievers, right? And they're going to be on the left. These are the people that's a place of less honor. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of stuff here that you're going to have to pay careful attention to, but these are some questions I've been asked a million times, so here's my chance to cover them, right? It's really important to understand this is not the final judgment. This is not the final judgment of the living in the dead. Okay, not the last judgment before we go into heaven. This is not that. Okay, that judgment's going to take place at the end of the millennial kingdom, right? All the people who have died up to this point have already been judged. This is just the people who lived through that tribulation, through that 70th week. But all the people who died up to this point have already been judged. Now let me explain that to you, all right? When we die, we all receive a preliminary sentencing, if you will. Okay, a preliminary sentencing. And I'm not going to explain to you why I know what that is. I wasn't always a preacher, let's just put it that way, okay? But Jesus explains this preliminary sentencing in a parable in Luke. Let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 16. Starting in verse 19. It says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered in sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In what? In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being what? Tormented, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus what? In his bosom. Okay, verse 24. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony, what? In this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Okay, so the people who died before the rapture, before the second coming, right? People who die before the second coming will go directly to a place called Hades. Now, how many people here 
just automatically thought that Hades was hell. Okay, common misconception, right? Everyone will go to this place called Hades. All Hades means is a place of the dead. That's what it means, the place of the dead. And it actually has two sections. Now notice that the rich man and Abraham are speaking to each other in the same place. There's just a great chasm fixed between the two, right? One can't cross over. If we read further in that, it says that, you know, no one from one side can cross over to the other side. So there's two separate departments or sections in Hades. Now, the first section is called Abraham's bosom. Okay, that's what a lot of theologians refer to it as. Abraham's bosom, this is where all believers will go. All right, and Abraham's bosom is a place similar to what we think of as heaven. Because in this place, people are going to be in the presence of God, and it's going to be a paradise. Okay, so Abraham's bosom is a good place. Now, the second department, or the second area down there, is called torment. And this is where all unbelievers are going to go. And torment is similar to hell. Because we read, there are there flames there? Yeah, there are flames there. He says he was in agony in those flames, so we know that there's flames and agony and regret in that place. And both are preliminary looks at the eternal destiny of the person who's there. So when someone dies, you will go to a version of where you will spend the rest of eternity immediately. Okay, there was no soul sleep. There was no waiting and then rising everyone and then making them go. Listen, your body goes in the ground and your spirit goes to have this preliminary sentencing, which means you are going to go to either one compartment or the other. In Hades, you're either going to be in torment. If you're there, you didn't believe. And you're just getting a preliminary look at what you're going to see for eternity. If you're a believer, you'll be going to Abraham's bosom, which is a place of paradise. Okay, now, everybody with me on that? Is that too much? Would you tell me if it was? You would. I believe that. I really believe that you would. You would. By some of your emails, I really believe that you would. But, so anyway, the, their final destination, where they're going to actually spend eternity, will happen after the Millennial Kingdom. It happens completely after the Millennial Kingdom. All right, now, after the Millennial Kingdom, believers are going to go to a place called New Jerusalem. How many people have heard of that? Okay, New Jerusalem. Look at this, Revelations 21.1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and what? A new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, what? New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain or Patriots fans. The first thing, the first things have passed away. I got to ease up on them, don't I? The (laughs) The first things have passed away. Right Now, this is where believers are going to spend eternity. This is the final heaven that we all think of. This is their, their final destination. And I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like an awesome place. No pain, right? No more mourning, no more, uh, no more worrying about people. You know, all that's going to be gone. This is New Jerusalem. This is the final destination of all believers, right? Now, also after that kingdom, after the millennial kingdom, unbelievers get their final destination and that's called the lake of fire watch this in revelations twenty eleven. then i saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it how many people have heard of the great great white throne of judgment okay i'm just going to throw this in before i continue reading there are no believers here there is no no one's going to be found innocent here it's a sentencing actually 
right? So let's look at this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the death which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Now when it says death and Hades, remember, there's, that's the second compartment of Hades. We know what happened to the other side, right? Um, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is what? The second death. Death means separation. Did you know that? And the second death means to be eternally separated from God. That might be worse than the flames. All right, the second death, the lake of fire, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, now, this is where unbelievers spend eternity or their eternal destination. Now, I know that's a lot to soak in, but I want you to understand that because there's a lot of times people don't understand how that works at the end. And there'll be a time that we will go over this more in depth. But that's how the end time kind of works and the judgment system kind of works. Now let's jump back into the sheep. Remember where we were at? Okay, so let's take a look. Jesus kind of explains the people on the right, the sheep. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, who are on his right? The sheep, that means believers, right? Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer to them, listen, this is important. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it, to one of what? These brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Okay? So Jesus basically said that these people had shown him love, right, through their actions. Had shown him the love of God through their actions. Because all the, those things he described were the kind of love God shows us every day, right? And he said, you showed me this through your actions. And they're going to ask him thinking he meant literally him. They're thinking he's saying that they saw Jesus coming and said, oh, let's help him out. That'd be pretty easy to do, wouldn't it? So they're going to think that's what he's talking about, and they're going to say, wait a minute, Jesus. Um, I don't want to get false credit here. I don't ever remember doing any of those things for you. I don't, I don't remember doing that. And Jesus said, when you do it for my people, you've done it for me. So who he's talking to here is this represents believers who showed that kind of love to Israel during that 70th week, during that tribulation period. These people cared for and and helped Israel during the most desperate of times. These people who were turning to Christ and being persecuted and hunted down by the Antichrist, they were the ones that showed them love. And then those people, when they became believers, they showed the others love. He's talking to the believers who were showing love to Israel during these desperate times. Right now, a lot of people think, well, why is he just talking about Israel? Remember, I'm going to say this a few times. Anybody can believe during the tribulation period, but the tribulation period is here, is coming for Israel. That was God's promise to Abraham that he would turn the nation back, and the seven-year tribulation period was designed 
to make them go, wow, we screwed up, we did crucify Christ, let's believe. That's the whole reason for it. So he's talking about those people who showed the love of Christ to those people in desperate times, what could have cost them their own life. Right? Now, on a side note, you can't be right with God without loving his creation. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a believer, you can't go to heaven. That's not my point. We're not saved by works. But you can't be right with God. That means in a good, right relationship with God, where you are in fellowship with each other, where you have this open communication. You know what I mean? Have you ever been in that spot in your faith walk where you just feel his presence with you every step you take? You know what I mean? That you can't have that rightness with God if you don't love his creation. Now listen, there are people out there that are easy to hate, aren't there? There are people out, let's just be honest. And sometimes as believers, we write ourselves passes for not showing the love of Christ to certain people, don't we? We're like, well, I don't, God knows what a jerk that person is, right? And so we try to find reasons to not show love to his people but remember something when jesus died on the cross that person was one of the people he was dying for and had that person been the only one that ever went out into sin in this world he still would have came and died for that one person because he created everything in existence did you know that jesus is the creative influence he was the one that created everything that exists colossians tells us right so when you are not showing love to those people, it's like not showing love to him. Let me ask you a question. Your kids. If someone is good to your kids, really good to your kids, don't you have a place for them in your heart? Don't, don't, don't they mean something to you because they love your kids? You know what I mean? And on the other hand, if someone is terrible and mean to your kids, don't you have some wrath reserved for that person? Moms, let's be honest. They always try to make the dads look like the tough guys. That's people who write that aren't married. Because moms would fight an army of well-trained ninja scouts to defend her baby, wouldn't they? I'm telling you. Listen, you want to see the MMA world champ go down? Let him touch one of those mother's children, and she would tap him out like that. Because you have wrath reserved for those people who are mean to your children, right? Listen... God created everyone, and his desire, the reason he sent his son to die on the cross was so that everyone could have eternal life. How do you think it makes him feel when we're less than loving to everybody? Right? Listen, Christians, it's easy to be loving to people that you like. That's easy. It's easy to be loving to family. It's hard to be loving to people that you want to punch in the face. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not asking you to hang out with them. I'm not asking you to golf with them. I'm just saying show them love. Love is an action. That means the way you treat them should be loving when you're around them. When you have the opportunity, do good to them. That's how they will see the difference between the sheep and the goat is by the ones that show them the love of Christ. That's how they will see the difference. Listen, I don't know about you guys, but I think this world needs a heck of a lot more sheep. Don't you think? I think we need a lot more. Because this world is great at drawing lines and finding reasons to hate other groups and other people. And Christians are just as bad. I'm sorry, don't email me because I will ignore it because it's the truth. Christians always boycotting stuff and finding reasons to tell everybody what we don't like and what we're opposed to when we have the same opportunity to tell people what we stand for and how much we love them like Christ loves them and we refuse to take that opportunity. Sometimes 
we kind of look like the goats, don't we? Right? I mean, sometimes. I just think this world needs a lot more sheep. Let's move on to the goats. This is the people on his left. Revelation 25, starting in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for what? The devil and his angels. Let me, let me pause for a second. People always ask, why would a loving God make hell for people? He did not make it for people. It was made for a totally different creation. This is red letter Bible. This is Jesus speaking, prepared for, it says, the eternal fire, which was, has been prepared for what? It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you go there, it's not because it was created for you. You're an intruder. Your failure to believe puts you in the same category with them, those who oppose God. I mean, it was hard to, to imagine that people would, would turn down this free gift of eternal life, that all you have to do is believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee your eternal life, and you have it. So it's the easiest thing in the world to avoid. So if you go there, it's not because God prepared it for you. It's because you crashed that party, if you will, through your unbelief. It's not designed for you. All right, verse 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you, not do it, you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, so these are the people during the tribulation period who was deceived by the Antichrist. They followed after the Antichrist. They probably helped him persecute the Jews or the Israelites right they probably helped him imprison and chase people down and put them to death these are the people who when they saw people God's people in desperate need some of them I think we forget this but some of them were of their own faith some of these were probably Jews right that had, that had turned and they had the opportunity to do something good for God's people and did not Right? And remember what we talked about earlier, moms? These are the ones that do something to your kids that's mean or hurtful or painful. Right? And he said, because you didn't do it for the least of mine, you didn't do it for me also. Right? So these are the goats, the ones that are put on the left. I don't know about you, but I think this world is full of them. Don't you? I think the world is full of them. I think a lot of them are politicians. I don't know. But the world is full of them. Right? There are plenty of people out there who really don't care about other people. These are the people that just focused on themselves and do whatever you have to do to fit in and make your life smooth. The heck with God. The heck with God's people. Take the easy road. Fight for self. Forget everyone else. These are the goats. We could do without a lot of goats. Now, if you have goats at home, don't call me. This is, this is metaphorically speaking, okay? There's nothing wrong with real goats. They're cute, I, I guess. I mean, if you're a goat person. But these are the ones that will be on the left, the ones that will enter into eternal judgment. Okay, so th there's a lot to that parable, more than I think we actually realize. 
Because in that judgment, everything comes out. Everything comes out. Now think about this for a second. I, I, I want to talk to you about some application here before we close. There's obvious application when we look at it. I mean, the obvious application and the easy application, and it's right, is that you should be ready to face God in judgment. You should be ready, whether it be in death, because that's the one thing we always forget about. We're always worried about when's the rapture going to happen, when's the second coming going to happen, when's, you know, all the things that happen in Revelation. You know what? What you should be worried about is when will you take your last breath? Because you don't have any guarantees, right? We need to focus on that. So whether it be, you know, we have to face God at death, if you died tomorrow, would you be ready to face him? You should be ready, right? Whether it's before the rapture, if the rapture happened tomorrow, would you be ready to face him? If you had to go through that tribulation period, God forbid, at the end, would you be ready to face him? The easy application is that we should be ready, and it's a right application. But there's another one here that I don't want you to miss, right? Because as I said earlier, God knows everything we do and everything we say, and he knows why we do. Okay, now, we have to be sure of one thing. You see, we have a problem in our society that's become pretty commonplace and acceptable maybe even. There's who we really are and who we pretend to be around other people. Right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? And if you're honest, you found that duality in yourself at one time or another. Am I right? You're one way around one set of people and one way around another. Right? And, and we need to make sure that the people... The, the person that people see in us is the same person that's going to stand before God, and we're okay with that. Who they see should be who we are. We shouldn't be disingenuous. Listen, John Wooden said something. How many people know who John Wooden is? Okay, if you haven't read some of his stuff, he was a basketball coach for UCLA years ago, 11 national titles, and just had some amazing sayings. I quote him all the time. Okay, but John Wooden said that character is defined by who you are and what you do when no one is looking. If you want to know who's going to stand before God, if you want to know who God is going to bring into that room, if it's a room, and you're going to give an answer, because even believers have to give an answer, right? The person that goes in that room is the person that only you and God know. Do you realize that? The person that you are when no one else is looking, that is who you are. And that's something we need to be focused on, is the person that we know we are, the one we want to take before God. And before you go, yeah, yeah, because I believe, think about that for a second. Believers, you don't have to worry about hell, but if you were brought in there, would God be able to reward you? Would he by the person that you are when no one's looking, right? That's the one you have to make sure is ready to stand before God. Because it's so easy to look righteous. It's so easy to look loving. It's so easy to look concerned. It's a different story to actually be loving and be concerned. To be the person that wants to see the will of God done. Because, listen, who you actually are is who's going to stand before God. And I think it's so important that we realize that because a lot of times I just don't think we do. So I want to I close with this question, okay? Is the you that no one knows but you and God someone you're comfortable standing before God? I want you to really think about that. 
I mean, the you, you know when I say the you that no one knows? You know the thoughts that you have when someone cuts you off in traffic? That's you. Right? That convicts me like you can't even imagine. Right? The you that says stuff behind people's back when you're around your good friends? That you? The you that stays home angry because someone at church hurt your feelings and you're being a big diaper-wearing baby? Right? That person? That's the one that will stand before God. That's the one that stands before God. Are you comfortable with that version of you standing before God? That's, that's a question you need to ask yourself. If you are not comfortable with that, then you need to make changes now. Because listen, whether it be through death or the rapture, wherever, whatever may happen that will put us in judgment, once it happens, like I said, there's no attorney going to change the situation. You need to make that change now. The, the bonus is we have a loving God that's willing to cleanse you and help you become the person you should be. But only if you've accepted that person. You ever met the person that's just living in denial? Don't be that person. Who are you when no one's looking? That's the you that will stand before God. It's so important we ask ourselves that. I'm going to go ahead and close. I'm going to ask you, Wood, to bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always give an invitation. It's nothing that I ask people to come up or anything like that. It's just I know the word of God is powerful. It doesn't matter who speaks it. It doesn't matter where it's spoken. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the church. It's about the word. And if the word of God has touched you in a way to where you're not sure where you stand, maybe God has revealed to you you're not sure where you stand with God. Listen, I just want to pray for you if that's you. Just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down if you're not sure, but you want to be. Bless those people. Listen. If you're watching online or listening online, God knows your hearts. Bless those people. But there has to be a first step, and that's recognizing that God's calling. And listen, for those of us who are believers, man, the time is short. And when I was preparing this message, I was thinking, I know I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven. But in that final judgment, is God going to be able to look at me and say, you know, when people saw you, they saw me through your works and how you treated them. I really had to think about that. I'm going to pray for us that that becomes a more prevalent thought in our mind, that that guides how we treat people a little more. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for everything you do. I just thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I say this every week, God, but I am just amazed that you can love people like us. No matter what, Lord, we let you down. Believers or not, we are imperfect people who make mistakes. And I am so thankful that your grace is stronger than our weakness. I thank you that once we believe that what your son did was enough to guarantee our eternal life, on the authority of your word, we know that we have it. And we can't lose it. And we know that you're there with us every step of the way. God, I just pray that as we walk through this life, we continue to reflect your love through our actions and words to the people we come in contact with. I pray for someone here who doesn't know you, that they would lay down their reservations and just believe. And if they make that decision today, God, your word promises them eternal life. And I just pray that they would inform us or contact us or contact a good Christian friend or organization near them because we want them to start to bond with the people that will walk with them in their journey. But God, as believers, please let us think about that. Before we allow our flesh to take over and to treat somebody in a way that's not pleasing to you. Let us 
keep control and make sure our words and actions reflect your love in our lives so that we can draw others to you. We just pray that you would go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. Let us live what we profess, God. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.